Welcome to the Hey Soul Sister podcast, where Mel Histon will guide you through life's big questions and bring you one step closer to doing this crazy journey as best you can. Hey Soul Sisters, what makes someone influential? We hear the term influence and influencer bandied around more and more these days, especially with the growth in social media and the rise of the influencer. No matter what you do for your work or business, your ability to make things happen requires you to influence others effectively. And I've, <laughs> I've had to learn that firsthand starting Got Your Back Sister. That has been all about um, influence. And it's one of the important skills that we can all have in our toolkit. So two years ago, when we could still travel, I went to a Business Chicks conference in Fiji where I was mem- mesmerized by one of the speakers and her presentation on influence. The speaker is Rian Norman from the Center of Leadership Advantage, and I'm here with Rian today. I'm in the podcast station. Rian is on Zoom. Hey, Rian, welcome, and thanks um, for coming on Hey Soul Sister. Thank you, Mel. Hi, it's so good to connect and be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and, uh, yeah well done. Loving that we can do this over Zoom, even if I'm not there in person. It's still good to chat. For those of you who don't know Rian, Rian's a senior psychologist. Center of Leadership Advantage. She has over a decade of consulting and industry experience and is a specialist in the areas of organizational development, leadership assessment, coaching, talent management, and workforce planning. Rian's an expert on the topic of influence and how influence motivates people, how to gain influence, and most importantly, how to best utilize your influence and leverage your network, which I think that is going to interest a lot of the uh, Soul Sisters listening today. Rian holds a Master of Organization organizational psychology from Monash University and has been trained as a level one IECL coach, which is coaching for career development. <laughs> so thank you again, Rian, for coming in. Yeah, there's way too many letters in all of that, but and I'm cringing a little bit in the background, but thank you. That's a beautiful welcome. That's it's all good. I am so excited to have you on the podcast. As I mentioned before, when I saw your presentation in Fiji a couple of years ago, it was my favorite presentation and I was really taken by, um, you know, the information that you shared and you had such a lovely style as well I I just loved it um and at the time I I think got you back sister which is the charity that I founded was about three years old and so uh, you know for someone who has had no experience in you know creating or running a non-profit I have been winging it you know pretty much the whole time and so I was really interested in what you were sharing about how do we influence people how do we win people over to um you know to share our messages around or for in in my case it was around ending domestic violence and getting different people individuals and corporates on board to come and support our messaging um our campaigns and also the charity itself oh thank you i i and it was wonderful to meet you and um as we know the business chicks community is such a fantastic network for so many leaders doing incredible work just like you mel so yeah that's really lovely to hear and you know i think um just in what you shared there i think is what I'd love most to hear and what I'm so, you know, excited to hear is people's stories about where they see their opportunity to influence, whether that's running their own business or as a leader in another organization or just in their everyday life. And it's and it's always awesome for me to hear those stories like you shared about how they've taken that information and run with it. So yeah, thank you. That's just yeah, it was really inspiring to hear you share that. So thanks. And it's funny because it was something like the whole concept of influence was not something that I had consciously ever thought about. 
you know, like sometimes you just get into doing your do. So I was like, okay, started a charity, right? Okay, I need to talk to this person. I need to talk to that person. I need to go and have that meeting. Okay, we're going to put together a community campaign event without actually stopping and and thinking about influence and the impact that it can have and how you can use different tools and tactics to help you win people over. I, I don't know if that's the right terminology, but you know, to get people on board as part of your cause. So how did you first become interested in the topic of influence? Yeah, it's a really, it's a really good question, actually. Look, I, I mean, I'm really passionate about a couple of things. One is psychology. So obviously, you know, I've, since being a kid, I have always been interested in understanding what makes people tick, you know, what motivates people, why they act the way they act and how we can work with people just to, you know, help them better understand themselves and others, whether that's for work or just in their general life. So I've always been really passionate and interested and, and just fascinated by, I guess, human behavior in and of itself. And the other thing I'm I'm really most passionate about and that my career has really been geared around is leadership. So for me, understanding how we can support leaders, you know, like you, like many of your listeners, whether it is running their own business or they're managing a team or leading in the community, you know, people sometimes attach this big label around leader and they don't know if they see themselves as a leader. But actually, many of us are leading in in many aspects of our lives and it's just choosing to see that. And the thing for me about leadership is exactly the idea that you've just raised, Mel, which is actually I, I can't just go about telling people what to do. How do I as a leader really facilitate great outcomes with other people? And so for me, the combination of using psychology and thinking about how leaders can use that skill set is like where the gold is. It's just this gold mine. So I think I was really, I became really interested in that probably pretty early on as I was working with leaders and developing their skill sets across business and different sectors. And yeah, it's just gone on from there. It seems to be something I think a lot of people like you shared, are really keen to learn more about. Yeah, absolutely, because we can't do it alone. You know, I think, you know, that that's one of the things I've learned is that, you know, if you really have a big vision and you're trying to, in my case, you're trying to create some sort of social change um, and um, create good in the world, you can't actually do that alone. You need to invite people in and bring them in along with you to be part of that yeah spot on and I you know and I think you nailed it and that's probably one of the aspects we can probably chat about is what does good influence look like but I think the case for you know why we need influence and and why it's so useful to us as leaders as business owners as just human beings is that point exactly we don't operate in a bubble we're not in isolation from everyone else and in fact leadership by definition is about my interaction with other people to achieve those outcomes so i think for all of those reasons you know this skill of influence is really really key just in how we get along with people and how we get the best out of them as well so i think you know whether it's trying to motivate and inspire maybe employees in our business or or people that are reporting to me how do i influence them to maybe show some of that discretionary effort or get on board with a different way of thinking through to how i can influence maybe my other stakeholders you know people outside my business or my customers or my clients or other stakeholders are involved in me in the work that i'm doing through to you know just our personal lives how do i convince my kids to you know make better choices or how do I maybe get get my partner to you know decide with me where we're gonna go on holidays when we can all go on holidays again you know whatever it is there's so many need 
so much need for influence in our everyday life. So yeah, I, I think it's it's pretty crucial. Yeah. <laughs> Not many people yeah. are very confident about it. And that's the thing. I notice that a lot. People say to me, I just, I don't know if I'm very good at it. I've never really thought about it. And what does good look like anyway? So that's why I think there's, there is this interest. Let's get soulful on social media. Search the Sister Code Facebook page and follow us on Instagram. So what makes someone influential? So I always say to people, you know, think about the people in your world, maybe in your industry or or just people you've worked with or people in your life that you feel are influential. And look, we sometimes also think about really high profile folks, maybe in politics. So what makes someone really influential? And usually what I hear are things that are right. You know, it's, it's the stuff that says, well, it's people that inspire It's the people that, you know, when they talk, people listen. They really engage their audience. They motivate people to want to do more, to invest that discretionary effort, we say. It's the people who are able to convince others towards their way of thinking as well. So I think, you know, it's it's a lot of that. And when we break it down, there's been a lot of research into this field and some of the work that's come out of one of the global leaders in this area as well, a lady by the name of Professor Overbeck, who works at the Melbourne Business School, she's um, done huge amounts of work in this space too. And one of the things that she talks about is the sources of someone's influence and it sits in two camps. And it's one of two things. One is kind of like their formal authority. So someone could be influential because they are the CEO or they run the business or because they've got positional power, right? So they're influential. They get people to do stuff because of the role they hold, not necessarily who they are as a person or how they operate, right? So there is that genuine source of influence that can exist for people and can work for them. What we know though, through a lot of the research we've done is that the other sources of influence, this comes from something we call status. And it's not status like in the social sense or how many LinkedIn followers you've got or Instagram followers, but status in the sense that it's how I'm perceived by people actually that matters most. And that perception is based on how I show up. It's how I behave towards them. It's how I communicate with them. It's how I operate by my values and all of those things. So there's these different sources of influence and already, you know, people always go, yep, I've worked with this person who was all about the authority. They just assumed that people would do things because they told them and because of, you know, the position they held versus I will follow this particular leader to the ends of the earth and I'll crawl over hot coals for them because of who they are, not because of the position they hold. So I think it's really important to note there's two different ways that people have influence. Yeah. And and I suppose with the second one as well, it's like, and I believe what they believe. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Alignment. I think that can be really, really true. I think we do find it's called a like me bias. We do find ourselves kind of naturally following leaders that, yeah, have values and beliefs and visions that we align with too. But it's interesting. I think some people can um, offer a different perspective and yet still be influential and be better at convincing those other people because of, again, they've got this high level of status in the eyes of others. So they might just be really competent and really good at what they do. And they may take time to really listen and ask questions. Yeah. And then just based on that, they might be um, more influential, even if they have a different view to me. Yeah. It's interesting. One of the the things that I have learned over the last five years has been everybody wants to be heard. 
people want to be seen and heard. So I guess if you give them the opportunity to be seen and heard, that in itself can be influential. A hundred percent. So one of the sources of um, this idea of status, one is just being competent, kind of be, yep. <laughs> being good at your job, right? Having some knowledge, um, knowing that you've got some runs on the board, that can really boost your, comp- your, your status in the eyes of others. But another aspect that doesn't get talked as much about is this idea of charisma. And charisma is one of, it's a funny word and people sometimes go, oh, you know, she's really, she's got great presence or he's really good with, um, you know, presenting. People seem to just listen to them. And really what charisma is, and it's been discovered in this book called The Charisma Myth, which is a really great read for anyone interested in the topic, but it's actually exactly as you're saying, Mel, it's actually tuning into the audience and really being genuinely interested in understanding where the other person's coming from, asking good questions and really listening. And like you said, I think people genuinely in this day and age, they want to be heard and they want to be given an opportunity to have a voice. So if you're going to be influential, really taking the time to not just put out your own point of view and get them on board, but actually take the time to get their voice in in the story too is really, really key. Yeah. And it's interesting when I reflect over my working life, while you were saying that I was actually doing that reflecting and thinking back about all the different people that I have worked for. So from a working perspective, probably the person, the boss or leader who I, I, I worked for somebody and the entire team would have followed her to the ends of the earth. And when I think about why it's because we all knew that she was great at what she did but also she was that person that she would listen and she would engage us and bring us together and listen to our point of view and would she believes in servant leadership so she used to be I'm just here to serve you and because of that, we she had us. She totally had us. Every member of that team, we just would have followed her anywhere or done whatever she wanted to do. So I'm guessing that's probably maybe a bit of the informational you know, and charisma. Yeah, definitely. So there's lots of, um, yeah, I guess different ways that we can sort of, I guess it comes down to a lot of the style of the leader as well. Um, You know, and I think what you've just described and for those of us lucky enough to experience working with someone like that, and I know they're probably few and far far between, probably we experience different styles of leadership Mm. to that. But, you know, for those of us that have experienced that, you know, it's, it's probably just that style of whether it's servant leadership or just, you know, being quite inspiring and really making it more about the other person than it is about me as a leader, really taking the time to get to know my people and really get the best out of them, get their ideas. You know, that's clearly something that we can all aspire to. I will say though, the reality is, and I know many of us are probably sort of sitting and thinking this too, there's some conversations and some situations that just require a hard and fast kind of of chat and a different type of influencing strategy because, you know, either I don't have time to sit around and maybe inspire people or this is actually a non-negotiable or the person isn't performing. And so that's where I find sometimes leaders find it hard to get that balance right. It can be tricky. How do I influence in an optimal way? But also sometimes I just got to get the person to get the thing, the thing done, you know? Yeah. It's a tricky one. I would absolutely agree agree with that. I know that's something that I struggle with sometimes because also our team, Got You Back Sister team, we just did a thing called saboteurs. I don't know if you've heard of that, but it's really interesting. It's like, how do you operate under stress? You know, identifying how you operate some some of the, the negative ways, uh, habits that you can fall into. And it became evident that one of my, my saboteurs is that I'm a pleaser. And so I can find it difficult sometimes because I probably use, 
you know, connection is a way to influence. But also because I'm a pleaser that I can be difficult sometimes to go, no, I just need to make a decision. You're doing that because I want them to be happy about it. Yeah. Yeah, I think, do you know what? I think what you've stumbled on there, Mel, is a really key one. I think starting with really good self-awareness as a leader is really important for good influence (laughs) so just know you know knowing when I'm under pressure and this is just good emotional intelligence right and this is probably tip number one is just operating with some really good emotional intelligence and self-awareness as a leader will do wonders for your ability to influence because if you are you know stressed out of your brain or you're exhausted or you're being triggered by someone you know like if you've got a misalignment of values or they're letting you down or whatever's going on you're not probably going to be in a good headspace to influence really effectively so I always say just monitor yourself and just be on the lookout for things like that get feedback from people that you trust that can like be honest with you about how you're going you've got to be in a good space yourself if you're going to be effective at influencing so that is one of the I think really good points you raise is just being really aware (laughs) thank you well I've done a lot of those quizzes and things the different personality tests and behavioral um, analysis and stuff and I, I actually do agree it can be really confronting sometimes but absolutely when you kind of can get a bit of insight into yourself you can be a little bit more strategic about how to operate I think in a better way hopefully oh for sure it's it all helps right and if I give you an example one of my coaching clients at the moment you know she's a a senior manager she works in the healthcare sector this year's been obviously crazy for her and she um, recently did some of those personality profiles with me and we had a good chat about it and she she had a few massive ahas and she realized you know, one of her strengths and one of the things she's really great at, she's, she's incredibly passionate and quite confident and a little bit competitive. And she she's so quick to build this vision in her mind. She knows what she wants to get as an outcome. She's great at energizing people. But what she's realized is that if she wants to influence them along the way, she has to slow down a little bit and she has to create more room for them to add their ideas. Otherwise, it's just like, get on board because I'm running and you've got to come with me or you're going to be left behind. So she's realized that she was not influencing perhaps as effectively as she could. And just through that conversation, becoming a little bit aware, getting some feedback, she's been able to still be true to who she is, but just dial that back a little bit and slow down and ask a few more questions to make sure she's influencing them as well. So when I saw you speak in Fiji at the Business Chicks Conference, you talked about that there are different ways that you can influence people. There are different tactics that you can use and some of them are going to be more effective than others. So some of them, you know, will be better at making people compliant, influencing people, you know, and they'll be compliant and other ways are going to be better at getting a commitment from people. Totally. So this is a really key. So when we, when we talk tactics, there's a really um, important first step here. And before we talk about what some of those tactics are. So the first step is always what outcome am I aiming for with this person? Right. I'll give you an example. So you talked about the words commitment or compliance. They're, They're the ways that we talk about it. So let's say, as a parent, I'll give you a recent example. I've got a seven-year-old who isn't really keen on eating vegetables right now. Now, do I need that seven-year-old to start making better choices about his eating habits and feel really good about it and inspired and motivated and he'll start influencing his friends to do the same? That would be a representation of commitment, right? I'm going to have to work a lot harder to get him to there versus just getting to be compliant and eat the damn vegetables, right? (laughs) So there's a big difference. Compliance is I just want the person to do the thing. I just want them to, you know, submit their tax return. I just want them to do that OH&S training. I just want them to, whatever it is, if it's quite transactional and you just need to do them to do it, then you're aiming for compliance, okay? 
Now, already you can sort of get the feeling you're not going to have to work quite as hard. You might have to still put in some efforts to convince them, but it's going to be a bit more of a short-term transactional conversation and you can be a little bit firmer. And I'm going to get to some of the tactics around that in a moment. Compare that though with commitment. So for those of us that are working with direct reports or stakeholders that maybe have a different point of view to us, if we're leading change, if we're trying to convince people in the community about a particular you know, agenda or topic, if we want to, you know, influence social change, usually we can't just aim for compliance. We need to get them committed. We need to convince people. And I think you said sort of winning them over, Mel. It's a little bit like that language. The psychology, um, psychological term is internalization. I want them actually to understand and really believe for themselves that this path, this outcome, this strategy is a good one and the good one. And I want them to tell others about it too. You can see by trying to build that commitment, you're going to get a much stronger outcome in terms of their effort, you know, their um, sustained commitment over time and their best selves, their best thinking. It takes a lot more though to influence that level of, um, I guess, commitment than just getting them to comply. So always just take stock and go, right, with this person, this particular situation, what am I aiming for here? Does that make sense? Yeah, which makes sense. What is it that you want? What's the outcome you're after? Totally, yeah. Yeah. And that's, yeah, just being really intentional and clear about what you want to achieve as a leader in that situation. So yeah, Yeah. like with the tactics, once you've kind of got that in mind, there are, look, a range of strategies. Tactics is a little bit of a funny word. I think people feel like, oh, a bit creepy like I'm trying to manipulate people or something it does a bit doesn't it <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I know strategies or cringy. yeah strategies let's let's go with strategies yeah I know and look I think I've actually been asked by people what's the difference between influencing and, and manipulation you know what's the and look the thing for me on that is if you have good intent right if you genuinely are working towards what you think is a good outcome and hopefully in the best interest of multiple people then you're not manipulating, you're just being a good leader, right? You're just trying to influence outcomes. So it's okay to use strategies to get you there. So I think just to give you a flavor of some of the best tactics that we've learned from research. So this has come out of um, a gentleman, a psychologist in America who's done this work for 20 years, studied hundreds of thousands of managers in in business and in other settings, including students and, and health and lots of different spaces. But he sort of studied what were the strategies that we're better for getting that compliance versus getting commitment. And they can be broken into two categories called kind of harder tactics and what he called softer tactics. So some of us know, you know, the, the word of hard and soft skills, that sort of thing. It's a little bit like that. I, I don't love the language personally because soft skills sounds fluffy and, you know. It sounds like it's not going to be really like, it's not going to really work. It's kind of soft and not going to have impact. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> I, I like I like the idea that it's smart, right? It's effective. Yeah. But yeah, they're, they're two different camps. So I'll just, I'll give you some examples. You know, if you're aiming for compliance, usually the harder tactics can get a good outcome. So some of the harder tactics that um, this researcher talked about, one of the most common ones that's been employed over the last 20 years has been pressure, you know, and, and pressure as an example is really just saying, look, basically, if we don't comply with, you know, that OHS training, or if you don't complete this um, report by Friday, here's going to be the outcome. And it's probably not going to be a great one. So you're clear about the consequences, or you could use a benefit and say, if you do this, then I'll give you this reward. So it's, it's but it's hard and fast, right? It's either there's no room for, for margin on it, they either do it, or there's going to be an outcome, or they're going to miss out on the reward. So 
ironically, that worked in getting compliance well over half the time. So if you just need, it's situational. If you just need someone to do something, if you just need them to eat the damn vegetables and say, otherwise you're not going to be able to watch TV later, well, you'll probably get compliance. The problem is it doesn't elicit commitment. So you can't use tactics like pressure if you really want that person to believe and get on board and feel inspired. So yeah. be smart about when you use those strategies. Some of the other harder tactics are things like, Oh, look, I would say kind of legitimizing. So it's a funny one I see in business sometimes, and I use it too at times, where I don't make it just about me. I invoke the power of others to add weight to what I'm saying. So it might be that I'm not asking you to do this, but our CEO or our leadership team needs you to do this. Or the council has said that we have to do this. Or, you know, a research has told us this is the best way. So you're actually exerting more pressure by using other people who have different points of view and hold authority and you're using them to sort of add weight to your argument. Would that be a little bit like if I'm applying for a grant, which I do from time to time, you know, for um, Got Your Back Sister, and I'm, I suppose, kind of being trying to be persuasive, trying to be influential, and I'm like, okay, well, do you know what? Uh, research has shown that the domestic violence has a significant impact on the health and well-being of a woman, and hence we need blah, 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 blah. Correct. That's yep. exactly right. So it's a really good. So using research is a really great way of convincing people. Again, you're convincing, but you're not necessarily winning them. And that's because of just how our brains work. And anyone who's read or watched a lot of Simon Sinek talks a lot about this. So our behavior as humans, where we want to inspire commitment in people, you're appealing to a different part of our brain. That's from our emotional brain, our reptilian brain. It's not our rational prefrontal cortex. Yeah. So when you make a business case, when you throw studies at people, when you give them the rational, logical reasons for why you want them to do things, they will kind of agree logically. Logically, that's the right thing to do usually and they'll comply. But to really win their commitment and inspire them and really motivate them, you have to appeal to their emotional brain. And that's, you know, putting forward the figures and the numbers is not always going to cut it. On the whole, everyone's different, but that's, I think, an important distinction to make. Yeah, and do you know what? You saying that, I, I, I think as well, you know, one thing that I'm really proud of with Got Your Back Sister, and sorry, I'm just referring to me because... You know, I suppose it's front of mind right now. But I go, I suppose, you know, one of the one of the reasons um, that I think we've been able to do what we can do is that so many people in the community have become part of our Got Your Back Sister community. And, you know, that looks like they get involved in our community campaigns. They volunteer, join us on the field at the nights. They volunteer in our op shop. They help us fundraise. They run fundraising events. And it's interesting. We, we ran a, a really big community campaign in July called I Run For Her. And that was supposed to be one woman running a half marathon. She was going to do it as a small fundraiser to go during isolation. So many women were living in a prison with their abuser. So she decided she was going to do a solo run as a fundraiser. And I got to chatting with her and said, you know what, why don't we actually put this out to our community and say, well, who else would like to become a part of this and who else would like to do their own run on this particular day? Um, We're going to make that an awareness campaign. I run for her and a fundraiser. And I thought we might get 10, if we were lucky, 20 people 
do a run, their own run on that day around the city and fundraise for us. And we had 123 people register to go, I'm going to do my own run on that day. We raised $54,000, you know, which was blew me out the water. But the interesting thing was that when I spoke to people that had opted to do their own run on that day, they had either experienced domestic violence themselves or a friend had, a sister had, a mother had, yeah, they'd grown up in a violent household. And so they all had that emotional connection. They really connected with it. And, um, you know, I was, and that's really sad. It's actually sad that so many people in our community connect with that. But then it's also because of those people going, I'm committed to this and I want to be part of this, that we can get that message out there and help educate people around domestic violence and that it's not acceptable. So, yeah, I suppose that's where you get that commitment and people are inspired to join the campaign in the community rather than going, you must do this. You have to do this. It's like, Correct. we want to do and this. And here's the, here's the stats that tell us why we should, right? It's not about stats. And that might help add weight to the argument, depending on, if, yeah, if you're applying for a grant or whatever. But you're right, you know, and that's such a beautiful example. And congratulations and, and well done to you on, on that achievement. And I, I think that's right. It is, we buy into um, a vision when we know the connection to self. Yeah. So it becomes personalised. Whether that is because I have a first-hand or second-hand experience of the change or the issue or what have you, whatever it is that you're focusing on, or if as a leader, I can make that connection for you. So that's a tactic that was studied as well called inspiration. And actually it's not inspiration, you know, like we think sometimes, like I've got to be this incredible orator and stand on my soapbox and have people weeping at my feet. It's not really about that. It's the wisdom factor. It's it's what's in it for me. If I can, as a leader, help make the connection between what I'm trying to lead them towards and influence them and what this will mean for them in terms of a benefit, a better outcome, you know, for them personally and for others, then that's going to go a lot further than, yeah, just putting a whole stack of facts and figures in front of them, which is that what we'd call rational persuasion. So, look, I think um, you're spot on. And I think if people as leaders take the time to really think about how do I sell this story? How do I tell this story, I should say, um, not sell it, but how do I tell the story so that my audience knows what this will mean for them and really take the time, then a lot of the research that we've looked at means that you're much more likely to build commitment and, by the way, overcome any initial resistance or hesitation that people might have because that might exist as well. Want to save your soul? Review us on Apple Podcast. So um, at the beginning of this episode, I kind of mentioned around that we hear the word influence and influencer a lot in social media terms. Do you find that interesting given that you, you know, you're an expert in influence and we're talking about influencers all the time from a social media perspective? So we all know kind of the images that pop up. Oh, I know my, the images that pop up for me when I think influencer on Instagram or whatever. It's really, for me, that's kind of a look. There's probably the bucket of people who are really building that profile and they will sell stuff, right? They'll sell products, they'll sell. And so that it's, by far, it's a direct transaction between the amount of inf- you know followers I have and whether they are more likely to purchase products and services that I afford involved and I promote. But I think there is there's this other notion of influencers through social media that I think is really compelling, and they are the influencers who use social media to instigate real social change 
or real, you know, have a voice on topics and build awareness. You know, some of the, you know, the incredible work you do, Mel, as an example, right? So you've got, they are influencers because they have a vision. They have an idea about what they want to achieve in terms of leading change on that, on that issue. They know their audience. So they think about who am I trying to reach here? Is it government? Is it people who are affected directly? Is it about people who can fund our efforts? They're thoughtful about their audience and they are influential because of how they operate. So they know their stuff, they research, they've lived experiences to draw on and they think about the tone in which they communicate. You know, they're not perhaps, you know, as you, as you sort of said, you know, they're not preaching or, or yelling out, telling people what to do, but they're trying to appeal. And look, one of the other strategies that we know is really good for building commitment, and this is quite interesting in the social media space, is this idea of consultation. So consultation, I see it a lot in workplaces where leaders who are really savvy at building commitment will go about consulting with their team or their stakeholders or their manager or whoever needs to be involved by asking good questions about what their view of the situation is, what their ideas are, what do they expect might be an issue, and they co-create solutions together. And, you know, the research would indicate that builds really great commitment as well. Equally, I think on social media, those influencers, I, I also see sort of engage in two-way dialogue. So even though they might be pushing out content, they're inviting dialogue back through comments and discussion online. So I think, yeah, I think social media can be obviously a really powerful platform for influence just depends on what you're wanting to use it for. Yeah, and like I suppose you were saying earlier, it's really what's the outcome you want. A hundred percent. Want to fill your soul with more? Go to thesisterco.com. Okay, so if somebody's listening to this episode and they're thinking about themselves in the workplace and they would like to have a little bit more influence with the people around them or maybe their boss or work colleagues, what are a couple of things that they could do straight up to boost their influence? So my, here are my top tips. First of all, I think we touched on this, but I think it's being really thoughtful about what's the thing I actually want to influence. So I talk about intent all the time. Be really clear. As you said, we're so busy all the time. We're just doing, right? We're hands just on the wheel. We've got, we've got a goal. We've got a list. We've got a to-do list. But actually take some time out to step back and say, when I view that maybe the coming six to 12 months and what I want to achieve, What's the things that I can and want to really influence? Is it about, you know, a, a plan being put into place? Is it about how we work with the team? Is it about how my manager thinks about a particular issue? What is the thing that I can influence and that I want to influence? And just be really clear about what good would look like. So, okay, if I do a good job at influencing, what will be the change that happens as a result of that? Because I need to have the goalposts in mind, first and foremost. You know, and I think we, we talk often about people sometimes get caught up in things that are beyond our control and we so often I know I'm guilty of that too right we there's noise and people are you know there's politics and people are doing stupid things and you get frustrated it's you know I think really the most effective leaders are the ones that are really smart about this stuff out of my control but I'll focus on what I can influence so start there the second tip I would say is again the most effective influences I see are the ones that know my ability to influence matters entirely as to how the person sees me how am I perceived don't worry about your strategies yet don't worry about getting your business case together stop and think about how do I how am I perceived by the other party so if if it's my my team members you know what have they known me to achieve you know what do they see are my values if it's my manager have I got runs on the board you know how would they am I on a good standing point with my manager other stakeholders they even know much about me do I have to share more of myself and, and celebrate some of my wins and tell them what I can 
give to them because the way that you build status is ensuring that, you know, you have demonstrated competency and people do view you in that way. So that's the second point is just to understand, have I got kind of like, we talk about kind of cash in the bank, you know, this idea of, am I cash starved? Do I feel like I've earned credits with this person in the relationship equity? Or am I sort of a little bit in the, in the downer in terms yeah. of my cash in the bank? And I'm going to have to work a bit harder. You know, I'm going to have to reciprocate. And that's another piece you can do there is what can I do to give and take here? to earn a bit more of that kind of credit with this individual so that I'm in a better starting point to be able to influence them. Look, I'd say lastly, you know, talking about all those strategies and being mindful of the outcome that you're trying to achieve, align your approach to the situation. It's not a one-size-fits-all game yeah. influence. You have to be really thoughtful about is this one of those times where I can just get the person to comply or it's going to take a lot more effort. I'm going to, it's an ongoing relationship. I really need commitment from them. Be clear about what outcome you're wanting and then think about the strategy that will work best. So can it be a harder, fast kind of chat or am I going to need to maybe do more of the consultation, more of that, what's in it for them that will get the commitment in the long run. So yeah, they're my kind of three buckets that I'd suggest people think about. Oh, Rian, see, you've done it again. I'm inspired again. I literally, you were talking about those three tips and I was sitting there thinking about, okay, here are some things that I have to get done before the end of the year. Hmm, how can I possibly employ some of those? I love it. <laughs> yeah. You, oh, you're the best. Thank you. That's lovely. <laughs> I, I, one of the last messages though that I'd, I'd make sure everyone kind of thinks about is influence is a tough game. And I think you said it before yourself, Mel, leadership's a tough game too. Don't go it alone. You don't have to go it alone. So I know sometimes leading can be feel really lonely, like if you feel like it's, all the responsibilities and the weight's on your shoulders. So I always say to people, think about who else can help you in this agenda, either in terms of can be your sounding board. So like people who can strategize with you, who know the people you're trying to influence, who can offer you, who know you too and know how you get unstuck and, yeah. you know, say, hey, Mel, you know, this is where you need to dial this down a bit. You need to spend a bit, slow down a bit or whatever. So use people in your network to help you be the best version of yourself, but also be really smart about who else can help you to influence people. So, you know, maybe someone who's got a lot of sway in the industry or the business or yeah. the field that you're trying to um, influence in, who can you build that relationship with to help you add weight to your um, influence agenda? Who can you um, work with to, you know, connect you with others who can help you with that too? So yeah, don't go it alone. I think use your network in a way that will really help you to be more influential and don't feel like the buck just stops with you because it doesn't. Yeah, that was a hard lesson I learned too. <laughs> It is not because I agree, leadership can be a really lonely place and sometimes you do feel you have to do it all on your own. Otherwise, you, otherwise you're not doing it right. So that's great, great, great. Listen, thank you. Thank you so much for coming and um, sharing all your wisdoms with us and everybody who's listening. It's um, Again, I just love hearing you talk. I love that you're so knowledgeable around influence and I've learned so much from you. So I know that you've, you've been going through a crazy time in lockdown in Melbourne. It's so good to hear that now they're all opening up again. The world's opening up. But um, yeah, no, but I really appreciate you taking the time to come on Hey Soul Sister. It's a pleasure. Thanks so much 
for having me. And look, um, it's a, it's such a joy. I'd love anyone to, you know, feel free to reach out. You can follow us on Instagram or you can connect with me on LinkedIn. Drop me a note. You know, I'd love to hear from anyone who's got questions or thoughts. You know, and there's a couple of really great resources too, you know. I'd, I'd really encourage anyone who's interested in this space. There's a fabulous book by Robert Cialdini called um, Influence, The Psychology of Persuasion. That is an awesome read if anyone's keen to, you know, yeah. delve a little bit deeper. But bottom line is, you know, the message is here. Don't forget your voice is really powerful. If you have involvement in working with others to deliver an outcome, you are a leader. And I encourage everyone to really own that opportunity to feel empowered to have their voice. The world needs that more now than ever. And yeah, just applying some of these principles can really help to just boost your confidence and your ability to get great outcomes. So yeah, anything that I can do to share that message, um, because I really believe it's an important one. So yeah, thanks for the opportunity. Thank you. And just quickly, so you do coaching and you also go to workplaces as well and work with teams. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I've got my own coaching practice and yeah, working um, with organisations to really think about how they can boost leadership in their workplace too. So yeah, if anyone's interested, feel free to reach out and love to have a chat. Beautiful. Thank you so much, my friend. Thanks, Mel. Go forth and influence. Continue (laughs) your great work. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Hey Soul Sister with Mel Histon. What would help you on your crazy life journey? Email melissa at thesistercode.com.